experts are warning that the British vote to leave the European Union could be a disaster for experts. One expert prognosticator, Seymour Wrongly of the prognosticating firm Wrongly, Wrongly and Wrongly, told reporters, quote, Brexit is just terribly irresponsible. In fact, it could be the worst thing that ever happened to me. I predicted that the vote would cause the moon to turn to blood and the nations of the world to be laid waste. Obviously, that's not going to happen. What am I supposed to do now? Find a job? I don't have any skills. What were these people thinking? Unquote. European MP Sir Reginald Sneering also issued an angry statement about the vote saying, quote, I'm disgusted that a group of ill-educated yobs could be so stupid as to want arrogant and unaccountable elites to stop telling them what to do. How do Britons think they'll engage in trade without the European Union? They're surrounded by water. You can't just send goods across water, they'll sink. How will other countries even know what the British are saying when they don't speak English? Without people like myself controlling events, we could go right back to the old days, when Britain was just a tiny, isolated island that ruled the world." Unquote. Young people who voted for Britain to remain in the union were particularly upset that the votes of older people determined the outcome. 22-year-old Dastard P. Useless told reporters, quote, Why should my 85-year-old Gramps decide my future just because he helped win World War II and I live in his garage? In a few years, he'll be dead, and I'll be stuck here without Brussels to tell me how much salt there should be in my crisps. It's a bloody nightmare. Reporters were also shocked by the outcome. CNN's Christian Amapur journalist gave her opinion while pretending to report the news, saying, quote, This is just an uprising of xenophobes who hate Middle Eastern immigrants because they kill people and rape women and demand to live under a barbaric system of religious laws and openly plan to take over the country and then destroy it. It's just another example of the nativist British racism that turned the world into a civilized place and now wants to keep it that way. Shame on them. BBC commentator Withering Insensate the Ninth says he has noticed a sense of remorse among those who voted to leave. I interviewed one fellow who clearly wished he could have his vote back, Insensate the Ninth said. He told me this was the happiest day of his life, and he hoped every bureaucrat in Brussels would be tarred and feathered and thrown into the sea. Um, but he had a very remorseful look in his eye when he said it, I think. The shockwaves from the Brexit vote have reached our own shores. Presidential spokesman Wiley Lycraft told reporters, quote, There's a very real economic danger here. If the expert predictions of a Brexit disaster turn out to be false, people will start to think that experts are not really making predictions in good faith, but are simply trying to spread panic in order to frighten people into accepting ever more oppressive socialist governance from elites. If that happens, the economic damage would be terrible because the entire climate change industry would go right down the drain. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. It's a disaster for experts, the Brexit. Listen, the experts all look like idiots. Hillary Clinton looks like an idiot. The left is in a panic. The New York Times is in hysterics. I think it's time for the happiness montage. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. When the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. Yay! Mr. Bluebird's on my shoulder. It's the truth. It's actual. 
Everything is satisfactual. Happy days are here again. The skies above are clear again. Let us sing a song of cheer again. Happy days are here again. Forget your troubles, come on, get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day. It, you know, it's not that we're overly pleased to see a bunch of bureaucrats get it in the neck. <laughs> we're, hoping, we're hoping they'd aim a little lower down. But that, all right, we got to take a look at this because it happened over the Clavenless weekend. Now, it didn't technically, first of all, it happened. They declared the vote at the end of Thursday on our shores. So it was actually still part of the Clavened week. Oh, plus, I, plus, I did an extra show. I did uh, Steve Crowder's show. So <laughs> there it is. Explains everything. It's all, there's always an always a reasonable explanation for these things. So let's take a quick look. The night of the, this is the night of the election when suddenly they realize that they've won. Here's Nigel Farage from the right wing UKIP. I guess it's called UKIP, I guess it's that. Here's him celebrating. Dare to dream that the dawn is breaking on an independent United Kingdom. This, this if, all, if the predictions now are right, this will be a victory for real people, a victory for ordinary people, a victory for decent people. We have fought against the multinationals. We fought against the big merchant banks. We fought against big politics. We fought against lies, corruption, and deceit. And today, honesty, decency, and belief in nation, I think now is going to win. He well says it. I like this is very succinct. And now, and David Cameron, the prime minister, he came out uh, right away and said he was going to resign. He for, he was very much for Britain staying in the European Union. He kind of went over the top. He was predicting wars and you know the moon turning to blood and the seas rising and the whole thing. And when it turned out that the people were against it, he came out and he resigned. So here's Cameron. Yep. I will do everything I can as prime minister to steady the ship over the coming weeks and months. But I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. This is not a decision I've taken lightly, but I do believe it's in the national interest to have a period of stability and then the new leadership required. There is no need for a precise timetable today, but in my view, we should aim to have a new prime minister in place by the start of the Conservative Party conference in October. So it's a big shock to us here in America to see a leader resign because he got things wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there, would be, there would be a revolving door on the Obama White House. It would be like, IRS scandal, phew, fast and furious, bang, he's gone. I mean, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton, there's like still scratch marks on the floor of the Oval Office. Like, you've betrayed your country. I'm not leaving. The British, the British like, yeah, I got that decision wrong. I'm sorry. I'll have to step down. I'm gone. You know? So, so now, 
So now there's going to be a new prime minister. The the front runner is this guy Boris Johnson, who's kind of the kooky uh, mayor of London, conservative. He's he's kind of a Trumpian character, and we notice that when we have this picture. Do you have that image that when you put his picture together with Donald Trump, he turns into Owen Wilson. I don't know what that means, but that means Owen Wilson will have a lot of work in the future. You know, you should be able to see this, by the way, because you should have by now subscribed, unless you're still clinging to your lousy eight bucks a month, you know, because like, you're going to spend, what would you spend it on? You spend it on drink and women. It's like, come on. So <laughs> subscribe and then you can watch everything. Um, all right, so they're going to have this, you know, this now they're going to have an election. They're going to have a new prime minister. The left, who <laughs> just about a year ago they uh, elected as their leader, this Jeremy Corbyn, who is an absolute communist. He's the Bernie Sanders of Britain, and he's now in trouble because, funnily enough, he's so far left that he kind of wasn't that interested in the European Union anyway. So he didn't really campaign. Very, you know, he, he showed up, but he, as far as he's concerned, they're imposing free trade on people, and he doesn't want that at all. You know, he wants, the, he wants, he really wants communism. He's an old-fashioned communist. So the Labour Party has to now make itself relevant again. They were so far out of power. See, the British have figured out what we have not, that free markets, capitalism work. So they're kind of like, even their, their right wing and their left wing have kind of come to the center right at this point. So the left has gone all the way to the left to have this purist leftist. Now they have to get rid of him because nobody wants him because everybody knows. It. You know, everybody's talking about this disaster in Britain. What a disaster is going to be for Britain to be free of the European Union. Well, Venezuela is like, you know, you just look out of the window. Like you just see the smoke rising from Venezuela. So it's like it, it may not be as bad as all that. All right. So then the, the other thing that's happening, and we'll get back to where to the important thing is what it all means to America because they're foreign countries. <laughs> who cares about that? But Angela Merkel, Angela Merkel, who has been the face of Europe because the Germans are, this was the German way, you know, they lost two world wars and this was their way of taking over Europe without firing a shot. So Angela Merkel, you know, she kind of blew this. I mean, that, this is the thing. Cameron went over to Germany and showed her a PowerPoint. This is true. Showed her a PowerPoint trying to explain to her that the British like being free. They're not like other Europeans. You know, they actually, they, you know, they, they actually want to be free. They don't like people telling them what to do. They don't like having unaccountable leaders. They believe in democracy. It's like the English-speaking people are different than everybody else. And Angela is going like, no, didn't we defeat them in World War II? It's like, no, Mrs. Merkel, well, you're sure? I thought we, I thought we won that war, you know? <laughs> so she wouldn't change. She wouldn't. And, and she's the one who opened the floodgates to all these immigrants who are now, like, raping women and doing all this crazy stuff. And is the one who said that this is this is what makes us great, kind of like Obama's trying to do here. You know, this is what makes us so wonderful is that we accept people that people don't have to invade us. We just let them in and they kill us. It's, it's it shows it shows our Christian nature. You know? So now so now because of this, she's suddenly making noises like, well, you know, what we have to do. What we have to do is we have to stop the we have to secure our borders. We have to create jobs which government has no power to do. They can only do it by getting out of the way of businesses. And, you know, we have to be more accountable. So she's actually heard a little bit. She's heard this shot across her bow. And, you know, they're all making all kinds of noise, like we're going to take it back, we're going to have another vote and all this stuff. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. This is like the Donald Trump thing. We're going to get rid of Donald Trump at the, uh, at the convention. Uh, you know, it, it's very tough for the British to tell the people that their vote didn't count. I mean, that's, that's revolution stuff. And also... As long as this is uncertain, nobody's going to invest in either Europe or Britain. So they want to get it all done. They, the vote isn't binding, but as soon as they get a new prime minister in there, certainly if it's Boris Johnson, he's going to 
uh, invoke Article 50, which is get us out, and then it'll all be legal. So we'll see. All the left is trying to say it's going to be taken back. The New York Times, every other word, saying they can still take it back. There can be another vote and all this stuff. But uh, I, I'll be surprised. We'll see. So the question is, are there parallels here? And of course, Donald Trump, Donald Trump was in Scotland to promote his son's golf course, which I thought was rather nice of him. You know, <laughs> everybody was making fun of him, like he ditched the. But you know, your your boy has a golf course. You go over and say and help him open it. So he was over there, and they said, "Are there parallels here?" And here was his response. I, I think I see a big parallel. I think people really. I think people really see a big parallel. A lot of people are talking about that, and not only the United States, but other countries. Uh, people want to take their country back. Uh, they want to have independence, in a sense. And uh, you see it with Europe, all over Europe. You're going to have more than just, in my opinion, more than just what happened uh, last night. You're going to have, I think, many other cases where they want to take their borders back. They want to take their, uh, their monetary back. They want to take a lot of things back. They want to be able to have a country again. So I think you're going to have this happen uh, more and more. I really believe that. And I think it's happening in the United States. It's happening by the fact that I've done so well in the polls. You look at the recent polling and you look at the swing states and you see how I'm doing. And I haven't even started my campaign yet, essentially. I mean, we've uh, we've done very well. We're raising a lot of money for the Republican Party. I'm going to be funding a lot myself, but we're raising a lot of money, John, for the Republican Party. And you'll see those numbers out in the next, over the next 30 days, and in particular, 60 days. Now, I just want to play this one just, just to make the point that Trump is trying to make here, but he can't because he hasn't quite learned English yet. But I'm not sure what he does speak, but he's trying to make the point. Let me just play Judge Janine. Now, usually I can't listen to Judge Janine. It's just a, you know, I just, she goes right up my spine. But she put this exact, so succinctly that I think I have to just play the opening to her show. Go ahead. What happened in England is going to happen again. Next up, the United States. Next president, Donald J. Trump. What happened in the UK this week is just the beginning. The world is changing and all you elite establishment, ruling class, condescending Washington bigwigs who think you know better than ordinary Americans are out. <laughs> Start packing. Your days are numbered. <laughs> that says it all right there. And I have to say, I mean, if you look at the list of people who oppose this, the people that they, I mean, this was a blow to the establishment like nothing else. And that's why they're feeling it. So, I mean, it was, here's from the Wall Street Journal. Voters defy the impassioned and unified opposition of the leadership of all five major political parties. They rejected the advice of more than 1,200 corporate CEOs, including half the chiefs of the FTSE 100 companies who wrote to the Times newspaper last week urging rejection of Brexit. Banks in the City of London, one of the world's major financial centers, along with the Bank of England, the country's central bank, and most of its influential think tanks and academic institutions warned of the risk to the UK's economic security, a procession of eminent foreigners from most heads of European governments to James Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, had urged the vote to say in April, President Obama went over and told them they were going to go to the back of the queue. We all, all of it to no avail. I mean, the British told everyone to stuff it. And that is why it's so thrilling, because it, you know, look, good and bad things are going to come out of this. Will the economy suffer for a while? Yes. Is this pound going to tank for a while? Yes. You know, but, but who even knows how long that's going to happen? Uh, you know, the smoke is going to clear. And suddenly people are going to say, 
Uh, you know, so we, we'll make trade deals. It's the British. They're the fifth largest economy in the world. Nobody's going to throw them into the North Sea. You know, they're gonna, it's going to be fine. They're going to work it out. Things will steady. Everything will calm down. And then people are going to say, you know, oh, we get it. You know, when you panic, when you tell us that the sun is going to come down and fall down, when you tell us that the climate is going to change in a disastrous way, when you tell us there's going to be World War III in Europe, because it's because you want to keep your job. It's because you want more power. It's not because that's what's so exciting about it. It's not. It's not really its effect. So you know, you think about its effect here and what uh, Judge Janine was saying. Some of us may say, well, yes, we we support the uprising of the people. We support the people saying, you know, give us back our government because, let's face it, we, we have the same problem with unaccountable elites governing us as they do over there. We have it in D.C. telling the states what to do. They have it in Brussels telling the countries what to do. Some of us may say, well, we picked the wrong horse. Trump is not the guy because he basically is a top-down, you know, wants the government to do health care, wants, you know, takes back every other thing he says, I'm going to build a wall. Well, it's not going to be a wall. Well, I'll have a door. Well, there'll just be a door and there'll be no wall. Um, well, forget the door. You know, <laughs> that's kind of the way Trump, Trump thinks. And, you know, going forward, you can't trust anything he says and all this, and maybe he's a top. But, but there's the other part of this. It, it's really, really clear what Judge Jeanine said is what all of us are thinking. I think, I mean, it's what I was thinking. When I was thinking like, you know, oh, you, you told the elites to get stuff. Did you remember the tar and feathers? Did you remember yeah. to throw them into the Thames? And while they were floating down, did you remember to pelt them with rotten fruit? Because because that really is fun, you know? Like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole every day. You know, I, I think our anger at these people, justifiable anger, they keep saying, well, it's angry white men, you know? It's like, yeah, it may be. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I don't have to apologize for my color or my sex, you know? I'm just, and, and the anger is justified. These people don't know what they're doing, and they're being uh, overweening and arrogant and intrusive. And they need to be told to go away. And I think that there's just something incredibly exciting. So my point is, is simply this. This could start to define Trump's general campaign. His campaign against the Republicans was this kind of you know, uh, slash and burn, insult, bullying campaign. But Brexit and the ideas behind Brexit and the idea of taking your country back and throwing out the elites could define his campaign, could start to give him a theme that he has been kind of floundering around ever since his nomination, could start to show it. I mean, Paul Manafort, his, um, his, now his campaign manager, came out and he put it very well. What happened in, with Brexit was people taking back control. I mean, again, the faceless bureaucrats in Brussels and Strasbourg who have ruled and told the Brits how to live uh, and prom making promises to them that uh, their lives would get better uh, and talking about a future based on globalism versus uh, the family and the individual and local community. That's what Brexit was all about. And the reality is those are the same issues that have caused the angst in America today. Uh, and this election when, in, in 2016, where Donald Trump is the only change agent, is set up perfectly on those same themes because Hillary Clinton is the epitome of the establishment. I, She's been in power for 25 years. And the issues, the promises of glo that globalism is the solution, the promise that government's going to make your life better if you just give up your freedoms, mm -hmm. the promise that, promises that we know better than you on how to make your lives better, have been rejected. That's what, that's what Donald Trump has identified. That's what Brexit identified. And that's what's going to be the basis for the election in 2016. I, I, I know.
So, so this guy is now basically his the voice in his ear. Now he's gotten rid of uh, Corey. You know, Corey is now on CNN for some reason. I have no idea why. But this has got the voice in his ear. This is a defining theme. This is something he can talk about. This is something that now people understand. And now people understand that the power is in their hands. You can win these votes. The, the, and the panic that everybody said, this could define Trump's campaign. And if it defines his campaign, it could help to, to define his presidency. I know who Trump is. You don't have to tell me who Trump is. I, you don't have to tell me the bad stuff about it. I get it all, you know. But remember, a president is also at the whim of the forces that elect him and that sweep him forward. And this is going to be, I think, a defining moment. And if you listen to Clinton's reaction, Clinton was, Clinton has been caught, Hillary Clinton has been caught really looking like an idiot. She was opposed this all the way. She was part of the panic crowd. This is a disaster. Listen to the ad she put out after it happened. This is her anti-Trump ad after it happened. Enormous shockwaves from Britain's historic vote to leave the European Union. Global markets are plummeting. Every president is tested by world events. But Donald Trump thinks about how his golf resort can profit from them. When the pound goes down, more people are coming to Turnberry. Stocks tank around the world. Brand new sprinkler system, the highest level. He's talking about his new sprinkler system. In a volatile world, the last thing we need is a volatile president. I'm Hillary Clinton, and I approve this message. I think that's tone deaf. I mean, I think that's tone deaf. She's saying, she's saying, don't, don't blow everything up. And the people are saying, uh, excuse, where's the fuse? You know, <laughs> it's like, where's the fuse? Where's the match? I mean, you don't throw a guy like Donald Trump at something unless you, you, you know, you mean to blow it up. That's what the guy is. And I think, look, remember, remember, we who who are commentators, all of us, all of us are the elite. That doesn't mean we're elitists. That's different. These guys are elitists. I'm not an elitist. I believe in the people. I believe that the people know better than I. I believe that a guy who knows how to fix a car knows how to fix a car better than I do. I believe he should run his own business. I believe people should do their own, run their own lives. So I'm not an elitist. But yeah, am, am I the elite? Sure I am. You know, of course I am. I'm a you know a highly educated guy who has elite concerns and thinks about elite things and all this stuff. So when I look at Donald Trump, I am horrified. And part of that is class. Part of that is the guy just seems to be like a thug, you know. He just see, and but but I'm I'm listening to the people, you know. I I get it. I get what they like about him. I understand what they like about him. And it may be. Look, let's let's hope he's better than I think he is. Let's hope. Let's hope he can win. First of all, let's hope he's a better candidate than he appears to be. The polls now. One poll came out yesterday saying he was 12 points behind, and another point came out saying he was six points behind. And, and that all of which gets closer when you include the other candidates who will be in the race. So I don't see why they don't include them anyway, you know, that when you include Gary Johnson and all that. If he is actually only six points behind, then all this narrative we've been hearing for the past couple of weeks about he's making this gaffe and he made this mistake and what a terrible thing he did here and all this stuff, the Mexican judge and this and that, it's all nonsense. It's all narrative. You know, it, because because he's doing fine. You know, if, if he is really only six points away, it's really five points when you include the other candidate, he's doing fine. So she's, so Clinton is the thing. She's saying, keep things the way they are. Keep, that's her, that's what essentially she's saying. But listen to what, you know, she's she's made so many terrible mistakes, not just, you know, Libya and Benghazi and the, and the emails and all this stuff. The AP just did a review 
thank goodness somebody's paying attention to this because the mainstream media is basically paying something like eight times more attention to every gaffe Trump makes than all the stuff that Clinton has done. But the AP did a review of Clinton's calendar, her after-the-fact official chronology of the events of her four-year term, okay? This is her after-the-fact, this is what I did. And they found at least 75 meetings with longtime political donors and loyalists, Clinton Foundation contributors, people who are giving her money, and corporate and other outside interests that were either not recorded or listed with identifying details scrubbed. So all these people were buying influence from her and going in and talking to her, and she's erasing, she's got the big eraser. I'm taking this, ah, forget about it. He wasn't there. You know, it's like just exactly what Barack Obama is doing with Muslims. You know, basically, I'm erasing the Muslim part of the terrorism. So all this stuff, you know, like she's got nothing to sell. She's got nothing to sell, and the only thing she's got to sell is that she's not Donald Trump, and that's going to be a big deal because Trump, you know, is a guy who shoots himself in the foot and he's got a big mouth and he's, you know, a loose cannon. But if this defi- if Brexit defines his campaign and gives him the themes that he needs, a lot of that could turn around. If you want to know, you know, is the left hearing any of this? Are they getting it? Does anybody get it? You know, I, I always make fun of uh, David Brooks uh, at the New York Times, knucklehead row, uh, the op-ed page on the New York Times. But he is the epitome of an elite Listen to his reaction to this. Well, in country after country, we're seeing a conflict between what you might call urban cosmopolitans and and less well-educated ethnic nationalism. And ethnic nationalism is on the rise. And I agree with everything that Evo, uh, Richard, and Margaret were saying. But it should be said, and I covered, I lived in Brussels for five years at the Maastricht Treaty when all this was coming together. And the elites, as much as I hate the leave, the fact that the UK is going to leave the EU, the elites, in some large degree, brought them on this on themselves. There was built into the European Unification Project an anti-democratic, a condescending, and a snobbish attitude about popular democracy. And secondly, and this is also true here, and I'm as pro-immigration as the day is long, but we've asked a lot of people who are suffering in this economy to accept extremely, radically high immigration levels. And we've probably overflooded the system. And so while it's easy, and I do condemn the vote to get out, a little humility is in order on the part of the establishment, frankly, that we've flooded the system with more than it can handle. And secondly, we've not provided a good nationalism, a good patriotism that is cosmopolitan, that is outward-spanning, and that is confident, and therefore a bad form of parochial, inward-looking Trumpian nationalism has had free reign. It's like a little beam of light is kind of <laughs> penetrating the wall of his elitism. Just this little bing, you know, I, I see something, something's happening. Maybe we did a little thing wrong. And we, you know, and they always come back to the same thing. Obama does this too. So we didn't communicate our yeah, point of view, as opposed to our point of view is wrong. Our point of view is not what the people want. It's the people's country. It's not his country. It's not my country. It's everybody's country. It's the guy, it, it is your country. And these guys just do not get it. You know, the thing about this is, <laughs> the, the, why is it so hard for them to, you know, this argument has been going on since the country began, right? The Federalist Papers, it was all about, you know, we want to, we need a strong central government. And people say, no, we don't want a strong central government, we want to govern ourselves. The Constitution was kind of the idea of how everybody gets what he wants. You get a strong central government, which we need, but it is limited by these rules, right? And so when you have guys like Obama and the left in general who throw the Constitution out, you know, when you have a guy who says, oh, well, I'm going to change the status of, you know, five million illegal immigrants, 
And the Supreme Court barely, just barely said, you can't do that. And he's like, well, that's not who we are. Yes, it is. It is who we are that you can't do it. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. It's you can't do it. You don't have the power to do it. The problem with government is the same problem with fat people, okay? It is harder, when you are an obese person, it is harder to lose weight than to give up heroin. It is harder to lose weight than to give up cigarettes. Why? Think about it for a minute. When you give up, I gave up cigarettes. The only thing I've ever been addicted to, besides my wife, is cigarettes. I gave up cigarettes. It's hard. It's harder to lose weight. Why? Because you have to eat. When you give up cigarettes, you stop. Right? You just stop. There's no cigarettes. Forget about it. But you got to eat. And the same thing is true, I mean, if you were an alcoholic and you said, well, you have to have a glass of wine a day, you'd never be able to beat your alcoholism. You beat alcoholism because you stop. The same thing is true with government. You need some government. We need some regulations to, to keep our meat healthy. But we don't need them screaming that the sky is going to fall if we drive our cars around. You know, you need, you need things to keep give people rights, but we don't need them governing how many black people and how many yellow people and how many, you know, and how much women get paid and how much, you know, they can't stop eating. The government is a great big fat man who can't stop eating. And Brexit is a little bit of an enforced diet. Brexit is, is, is a little bit of fat shaming, a little bit of stop, you know, stop stuffing the cake of power into your fat face, or as the British would put it, shut your pie hole. <laughs> and we love it, and thank you, Britain. All right, stuff I like. We're going to do British movies this week. We're going to do British movies that are among the greatest films ever made, okay? There are they're really only a few. I mean, the British make, made some wonderful films, but the greatest films ever made is Tall Order. This film I have mentioned a number of times, but it has never made the stuff I like. I've mentioned it in context of stuff I like. It is, it may be my, if I had to pick a favorite film, if you said I could only watch one film for the rest of my life, it might be this film. This is The Third Man. It's directed by Carol Reed, who was a guy who was very much inspired by Orson Welles. It has Orson Welles in it and Joseph Cotton. It is based on a Graham Greene. Graham Greene, one of the fine novelists of uh, the last part of the last century. Uh, he, he wrote the film, and to give the film, to make sure he understood the film itself, he wrote a novella first, which he didn't mean to publish. Ultimately, they did publish it, but it's a very rich, textured movie. It's a thriller about a goofy American pulp writer, he writes westerns, who goes over to occupied Vienna right after the war to looking for a job, and of course he's swept into the intrigue and craziness of the post-war Europe. And it's a, a very classic European theme of innocent, dopey Americans being swept into the complex world of European diplomacy. And it's beautifully shot, beautifully acted, beautifully written. Here's a, one famous quick moment where Orson Welles is teaching an American the European view of history. Well, what the fellow said. In Italy, for 30 years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder, and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace, and what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. <laughs> so you get a little bloodshed, you get to the arts, you know. You may, yes, you may have a thousand years of warfare, but you get the Sistine Chapel. The, the Europe that we know now has not had an internecine war for, since World War II, and what have they produced? The European Union. <laughs> I mean, they had a hor horrible, violent history and produced, Europe produced the greatest culture that the world has ever seen. And that, and that, you know, 
if they come back and get a little bit of that going on and it takes a little turmoil, so be it. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We have so much to talk about this week, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk about more of it.